Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. So we didn't get ponchos for them in the splash zone. I don't know. You guys going to be okay there? Bennett, you okay? Good. Phew. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Your dad is going in there. <laughs> Your cousin's uncle is also going in there? Okay, you guys, just hang on a second. I'm going to talk with Bennett. Um, okay, no. All right, I got to talk to the rest of them now. So time out. All right. All right, you guys, welcome. Um, I've got to be disciplined today. Those of you who know me know that I tend to notice squirrels and, and go on little rabbit trails. Um, but today we've got um, we're some baptisms right at the beginning, and then we've still got a good chunk of the word that we're going to teach through, and so we want to do that well. And so let me do, first of all, a quick teaching on baptism. And the, the people from uh, last night's Saturday Night Life service are way ahead of you. They, they have already gone through this once. This is like, um, this is old news for them. So I'm actually even using the same slides. Uh, but we're going to teach on baptism just really quickly. Um, first of all, I, th- I think there's five points I want to get across. I say I think, making it sound like it's so casual. I've got five points on PowerPoint here uh, for them. First of all is that Jesus ordained baptism. That's the first thing we should understand. And ordained is a, a kind of a powerful, fancy word for meaning that it's, it's, he's conferred holy orders on baptism. This is not something that if you kind of feel like it, if the mood is right, that maybe you should consider getting baptized. This is something that has been commanded by Jesus. And the best example of, of where he's done that in this, is in this next slide, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. It says this, Therefore go, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is something not only we've been commanded to be baptized, but we're we're told to go out and baptize others. And so this is something that has been given to us from Jesus. Second thing is this. Baptism is an expression of unity with Christ. When we declare ourselves to be Christians or Jesus followers, we want to do what Jesus did. Well, Jesus did this. And it expresses union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And the clearest teaching on this is from Romans 6, verses 3 to 4, and it says this. Romans! This is awesome. Why don't we have them here all the time? (laughs) Sunday school is canceled. Okay, just kidding. Uh, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We, therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And I'm just realizing now, why are these words so hard to see? I didn't bring my glasses. So I'll be fine. Um, so that's a, a, the, the kind of direct teaching of how when we do this, when we are immersed in the water and come up, we are uniting with Jesus uh, symbolically and in some ways literally in his death and resurrection. Not taking questions right now. <laughs> no. All right, third thing, baptism is immersion. 
okay? We believe this, this expression of union with Christ in death and resurrections, resurrection happens by being immersed in water. And again, this, the kind of best example for this is from that passage we just looked at, Romans 6. Uh, this is something that we are doing what we can to follow what Jesus did. And, and we saw him immersed in water. The fourth goes like this. Baptism is for believers. We baptize people of an age to choose baptism. One of the things you'll hear when we dedicate uh, children up at the front is that uh, we, we don't baptize, we don't sprinkle um, the children. We reserve baptism for this time when they're of an age where they can choose it for themselves, where they can make a decision that they want to follow Jesus and make this declaration. So where the decision to follow Jesus is often a very personal and private one, baptism, as we're going to demonstrate today, um, is a physical act, and it's often done in the presence of others, done publicly. And finally, the fifth is this, a and this is something that I've kind of picked up from uh, watching other pastors and preachers do weddings. They spend time talking about the role of the people who are present in the wedding. Uh, you are more than just bystanders and witnesses. Uh, there's a reason that we're all excited, Bennett, about your dad getting baptized. And there's a reason, I, I'm not taking your question, but there's a reason we're excited. It's a part of our story. There's a reason. So Jaden is the, is the other fellow who we know is going to be getting baptized. And there's a reason we're excited about Jaden making this decision together because he's a part of our story. And so there's three things I think that we need to understand about our roles as witnesses. First of all, the role of celebration. This is a big moment. If when this happens, you feel excitement and you feel like yelling, way to go, dad, or something like that, if, if that comes up, that makes sense. That is a fit. This is a point of celebration. Second of all, this is important, your role as prayers in this, in this moment. You are, you are here with a purpose. And, and my prayer is that we will all join together in prayer over these lives. And not just these lives, but one of the things I get excited about is the lives that they will impact. It, whether it be in their homes or in their future homes or at their workplace. We want to be prayerful for them. And then finally, uh, the third thing, the role of a witness is as a support. There's something special happening in our church history today. Uh, to someday we will look back at this in fondness and we'll be here to follow up for support with others. So with that in mind, here's what we're going to do. And I want to echo what uh, Matt has already said, that you might even now be feeling kind of the, the, the holy tap on the shoulder that actually, you know what, this is for you too. And maybe today is your day you didn't come ready to get baptized, um, but we can share towels, and there's lots of water. So I want you to be praying for yourself. And if you hear that this is your time, we, we did one last night. Becky was our spontaneous baptism, and uh, we would love to baptize you. Uh, I think Carolee might still have clothes from last night in the car. Is that No. They're in the car, that's right. So we, we do a clothing giveaway on Saturday nights, and so we've got men's and women's clothes in garbage bags in my wife's car. And so we can hook you up. If you need warm, dry clothes, uh, we, can, we can help you with that. So at this time, I'm going to invite 
Jaden, you can come sit by my friend Chris over here, and you can wait. You're in the batter's box. No, what's it called? The on-deck circle? On-deck circle. The batter's box, I guess. Steve, you're in the batter's box. Uh, so come on up. And both of them have prepared. Yeah, you can clap for them. <laughs> both of them have prepared uh, a story about what brought them here today. And so I'm going to turn the mic over to Stephen. You may, you may regret this. <laughs> Hi. Okay. So I'm Stephen McMillan. I want to share my little story, what has brought me here today, now. Um, so we'll, we'll start at the beginning. Um, I, I had a, a pretty secular upbringing where we went to church twice a year you know for a while and then and then once a year and and then not at all um and and so there wasn't a lot of god in my life when i was very young uh and as a teenager and and so if i found myself praying i'd be i'd be asking um for god you know if you're if you're there if this is all true um r reveal yourself you know give, give me a sign you know get me out of this jam or something and and uh and I, I didn't really I didn't really get any anything solid back and so it kind of left me kind of feeling prob probably not um and and I spent most of my my time as a young adult as uh as a, as an atheist you know com completely um but despite that um through some fortunate <laughs> through you know I guess you'd call it uh, an amazing blessing to to meet uh, my my wife Jen, Jen, how come you're not up here with me? Are you coming? Are you coming up? Are you gonna come? St she, she's gonna be coming up here in a minute, I guess. Um, so I met I met, I met Jen and we fell in love and got married and 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 that was and sort of d despite my religious beliefs, which is amazing that she had that much forth trust her. Um, and I wanna uh, and so we got married and I wanna I wanna hover here for a second and make draw I wanna draw a little parallel between um, between choosing to commit to someone like that, choosing to get married, and what I'm choosing to do today. Um, because getting, getting married, you know, you're in love, and that's, that's a feeling in your heart, and that's, that's great. Um, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then you think about it, you use your, like, your conscious mind, and you kind of weigh the evidence, and oh, we've got lots in common, it's like a good fit, right? Make like a logical argument for, for getting married. And so this feeling, and then the logical argument with your brain, and uh, so those are good things. But in the end, that for me, the thing that has been a rock-solid foundation of our marriage has been the fact that I chose to commit to her, right? And it was this this choice that sort of superseded everything else, and made it really. I found that really just locked everything in and made it really permanent and really personal and. Um, and, and, I, and I look back at that and that. So that was, I think, a, a really good choice to have made, right? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was great. So then, and that's, that's we're, we're coming up on uh, 18 years now. Um, so, but then she was going to church. And I went a few times. We were going to Riverside Church at the time. And I went a few times, um, but I wasn't hooked. And, um, but it was, so there was this awkwardness that there was this whole part of her life that we weren't sharing. Um, and that was kind of a wedge between us. And that, so that didn't sit well with me. 
um, you know, and then, then we had kids, and, and, and so I started coming more regularly, partly just to kind of help with, like, getting the kids to Sunday school and stuff, and, uh, um, but I wanted to be a, a good husband and a good father, and uh, so I started thinking about this, you know, oh yeah, I should probably just start coming all the time, and, and uh, but, you know, is it, is it really a just, is that a good reason to become a Christian, like, for someone else? Because she's a believer, and I put my, I, I committed to her. So is that a good enough reason to become a Christian? And I wrestled with that, and I thought, you know, no. But, but now I'm now I'm wondering, well, I'd give everything else for her, right? How many fathers and husbands in the room uh, don't, you know, work every day of your lives to support your family and and wouldn't die, you know, for your for your for your wife or kids? So so isn't isn't making this choice like the least I could do, you know, like, why wouldn't I, how selfish of me would it be to, to not, um, so that's part of it, um, and then about maybe five, six years ago, we did Alpha, and I remember, um, listening to Nicky Gumbel, uh, talking about how he was, he was a lawyer, and he used evidence, right, he studied the evidence of the, you know, the, the, the resurrection of Christ, and, and all of it, and, and so he formed a logical, argument and convinced himself and then and then he said once he decided to follow Christ that 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 it transformed his his heart and so that was his that was his head first and then his heart following and and for me it hasn't been like that um I haven't been able to form a complete set of uh, like a like a like a concrete case for it you know I can see evidence on both sides still um, we had, we had after, after Alpha, we, we joined uh, a home group uh, with uh, Jordan Craig. I'm very pleased he's here with us. He's going to be helping in a minute. Um, and, uh, and so we had lots of great debates. Uh, I'm sad that, uh, that Megan and Ryan weren't here today, um, but we had this, uh, this co very conversation with them many times. So I'm st but, you know, so 10 years or so I've been in, in, in and out of church, and, and, and still I find myself, when I think about it, I can, like, go on either side of this like edge and and I'm tired of that um, but then I started having these experiences in church and in worship um, especially and uh, so first one time was like was at Riverside Church and uh, and it's first time I kind of really let my guard down and and opened my heart and we were singing and and I was really taken with well, standing next to Jen, and I, I took her hand, and I, I held her hand while I was singing, and it was this amazing experience of, I really can't explain, but there was this, it, it was like this warm blanket or uh, electricity that just, it literally felt like it flowed from Jen's hand up my arm and like filled my torso and, um, and, and kind of I kind of exploded. It was it was really weird. Um, and there's a song we've sung in worship that my heart turned violently inside of my chest. Right, and I felt like that day something changed. It was like uh, like it opened the floodgates. And now when I when I really pray or worship, um, I usually just cry like. I totally break down and cry, and some of you have maybe seen me here, like, uh, it, I'll collapse in worship, crying, um, 
and uh, so it's something I feel in my heart. And then um, the most powerful, the most powerful of these experiences was one time here, and or maybe maybe we were in Thomas Haney, but we were singing um, "King of My Heart," and and there was that feeling, right? I got this little like tingling in my fingers and this warmth and. This is, this is, what is this sensation? So here's my brain trying to think about this and trying to analyze what is this sensation? Is these are just endorphins, right? I'm just excited because I'm singing and I've tricked myself, sort of a meditative state I'm in or something. And uh, uh, so is this it? You know, I literally, like, and I sort of, sort of asked that as a question, like as, almost as a prayer, but a question to God. I said, is this it? Meaning like, is this the only evidence that I'm going to get? Is this what I'm supposed to base my whole like decision on? Is this is this like little feeling? And boom, <laughs> right? I I got the backhand of God. I like I got slapped, and it was like no duh. And I had this, and I in in a split second. Anyone seen the Matrix? You know when Neo downloads and he learns kung fu? Like whoa, I know kung fu. Um, I learned. So in a split second, I had Jen, the boys, all the unbelievable opportunities in my education and career, our home, the church, our home group, all of this was like just laid out, like just plain as day. Like how, how stupid had I been? My cup overflows. So I don't, I don't have all the answers, and I, I don't have this all figured out. Um, but I'm, I'm committing, right? I'm going to commit my life to follow Jesus, not because of all the evidence, but in spite of it, in spite of the lack of evidence. Not because of a feeling, but because of a choice. I want to make uh, a true leap of faith. I'm going to put my hope and trust and faith and love in God. And to be like Peter when Jesus said, follow me. That's beautiful. All right. While you get your shoes off, we're going to invite Jordan up. And as mentioned, Jordan's played a, a really big part in uh, the discipleship uh, life of, of Stephen and his family. And, and so we're excited to have Jordan come and be the muscle today. And so you can be the low side, I'll be the high side. So I'm going to, I've told Stephen I'll be very prescriptive, so I'm going to do some talking to him. You guys can be in prayer right now, and we're going to do some dunking.
good job, brother. And we got good footage of this. <laughs> so I told Jordan I was going to bore him a little bit later as well. We're going we're gonna, to uh, baptize Jaden in just a moment too. Good job, Ben. Well done, Stephen. Thanks again. Let's give him another big hand. It's, it's so interesting to me, the journeys, the pathways to this place. Uh, this is the third testimony we've had this weekend, and all of the stories have been <laughs> completely different, and we're probably going to get a fourth opposite different story from Jaden right now, so I invite you to come on up here and tell us your story. Hi, everyone. I just First off, I just want to thank everyone for being here. Um, uh, my name is Jaden, and I'm an addict. Uh, and it, in September of last year, I made an attempt on my life. And one that when I did, it was black. There was nothing there for me. <coughs> and uh, I now see that that's where I go when I run my life, when I make the decisions for myself. Um, and I don't want that. Um, I want uh, a better life. I choose a better life, and I choose eternal life. And uh, yeah, I just just want to welcome uh, welcome this into my heart as much as I can. Thank you, guys. All right, Jordan, I'm putting you back to work. You did such a good job last time. I was actually kidding about it being a splash zone over there. <laughs> wow. Jaden's like, I am going to be fully baptized, and I'm taking you with me. Good job. All right. Um, I've got lots more to say, but very carefully, if you are younger than grade 12, grade 12 or younger, you can start to make your way to your classes. We bless you. We miss you already. There you go. And be very careful. And just as a note, hopefully you'll remember this after the service too. Jen, as always, is busy as a bee trying to make this less deadly, but uh, be careful when you're stepping up here. All right. I'm not sweaty. I'm just um, soaked. Thank you, Jaden. All right. I need a time check. How are we doing for time? Is it quarter two? Is that what I see? Okay. 
I got time for a little bit of banter. Um, it's good to be together. And this is a, a beautiful moment. We, uh, last night, we had a, a very special night as well. We, we had the tank out, and, and we had planned to baptize two people, and then we had a spontaneous baptism, which I haven't actually put out there. So we do not have to be done. The kids are going to miss it. But is there anybody that's feeling they, it's their time to be baptized? They don't want to wait another day. Okay. We will do this again. But if you feel like you need to be rude in the middle of my service, or my message, uh, and let me know, no, it's time now, we can do that, all right? So last night, like we said, we had two planned, and then we had Becky, who was our spontaneous dunker, and uh, it was a very, very special, special night. Um, at the end of service, we had seven people make a decision to follow Jesus, and yeah, commit their lives to Jesus. It was a, it was a pretty, pretty amazing night. Uh, there are other stories, man, I wish I could... Uh, just tell you all of them, but um, it's a special night, and this is a special moment. It's a special night, and I, I'm really thankful that you guys could be here, be a part of this, uh, and be more than witnesses. You're, you're part of this historical moment for us. Uh, while I'm looking back, I want to just mention again, this has got nothing to do with anything, but um, I'd forgotten that w one of the reasons I love Alpha so much, I'm glad you included that in your testimony, Stephen, um, but as you may or may not know, we've reignited Alpha. I think they're three weeks in. And uh, I, I love Alpha because of Alpha. The, the program is good. It's sound. It's solid. It's foundational. But the, the byproduct of Alpha that I had forgotten about, and I've forgotten I, I love so much, is how it draws in really the whole church. Um, yes, you all get to hear the celebrations of, of, of the fact that it's happening, but the, the buy-in we've had, Matt and Alex have been given leadership to our young adults specifically uh, on the evening, but they are engaging with, we've now had three different families um, prepare the meals, and they are feasts for, for our people. Our, our alpha people eat very well. And so just to see how all of these connections are being made under the banner of, of outreach and, and making this alpha thing happen. And I just, I love it. I'm a fan. So I wanted to get that out. I didn't want to miss my opportunity to say that. Now I'm going to find our notes. All right. Today, we're going to direct you to a personal study of the first part of Luke 7. As you know, we've been uh, pretty devout about going through almost word by word when we're studying through a chapter. Uh, but today the plan has been, and um, Caleb, do you mind turning my mic down just a little bit? I feel really loud. Uh, the first couple parts of Luke 7, and if you're following along, uh, you're going to see there's three sections of, of story before um, the part that we're going to get to. And the way I've broken it up is I'm going to direct you to these sections for your own personal study. I'll give you an overview of... Uh, of, of kind of the, the key points that are going to happen there. I had also planned for part of them, uh, actually I'll tell you about it when we get there. Let's, let's just go on to the first slide here. We talk about the faith of the centurion. So the first part of Luke 7 is talking about this centurion. And he has a servant who is very precious to him. And it kind of speaks to this idea. It, today, the idea of a slave or a servant is, is so demeaning and so top-down dominant. 
It was, it was different culturally. This was somebody who would have served in the house of this Roman centurion. And the servant was very dear to him. He was sick and he was on his deathbed. And the, what happened is the elders of the Jews were sent to Jesus. And they were, they were sent to plead with Jesus for him to come and heal this centurion's servant. And the reason these, it's, it's funny because there's this obvious tension between the Jewish elders and the Roman government because they're on, on different sides of the coin. But they say, they, the, the words that were used is this one, this centurion is deserving of your favor, Jesus. He's a good guy. He deserves what you can do for him. So Jesus ended up going with them. And the reaction of the centurion is actually really beautiful. He says, don't even, don't even trouble yourself with coming to see my servant because I'm not worthy that you should even come into my home. He says, but just say the word and I know that my servant will be healed. This Roman centurion is just so full of faith. He says, Jesus, you don't even have to come. You don't have to do a special whatever and lay hands. I believe that you are Lord over this. In fact, he starts to use some military language. He says, I'm, I'm a leader as well. If I tell my military underlings to do something, they're going to do it. And he recognizes the authority of Jesus in this physical healing realm. And he says, if you command it, I believe it will happen. And Jesus, uh, you almost get this moment where Jesus gets caught off guard almost. Like, obviously, he wasn't caught off guard. He knows everything. But it's like he's filled with amazement at the faith of this centurion. And he, he's, he says here, he marveled at him. So it's just like, wow. He says, I, don't, I haven't seen this faith in my people, in, in my Jewish people. And you need to realize, just as an aside, um, the Jewish people weren't a, a political group of people. They were a, a religious group of people within the Roman community. He says, I have, in my people, in my people, I haven't seen faith like this. And then he goes on and he says, your, your, your servant will be healed. And sure enough, when they returned, the one who was sick was now healed. So we see that in the first part of Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. The next one is about Jesus raising the widow's son. And this is verses 11 to 17. And in this case, it wasn't somebody who was sick. This was a, a dead man being carried out. By the time Jesus arrived, this person was dead and being carried out. And any funeral, we would agree, is, is pretty tragic. But in this case... This was the, it was a special loss. This was the only son of a, of a woman who had been widowed. So this was the only person left in her life. This is her only son. It's very special. So Jesus comes to her and says, don't weep. Do not weep. And he came and he touched the open, co open coffin. And he commanded that son to rise. And it says, so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And so we see the miraculous, just following Jesus around. And he's demonstrating, just as the centurion noted in Jesus, he demonstrated that he is Lord of all. That there is nothing that isn't under his command or under his purview. There is nothing that he does not have authority over. And we see this here. 
Now, the next thing I was going to do, there's another section about uh, Jesus and John the Baptist. And originally, I had a slide like this. Um, Caleb, we're going to skip over. Maybe what I'll do is I'm going to post, I've got an excerpt of a book that my wife reminded me of. Um, and the, the book is called The Prisoner in the Third Cell, and it's a by a guy named Gene Edwards. And he wrote a book that I have over-applied to my life like crazy. Uh, many of you heard me talk about A Tale of Three Kings. So Gene Edwards is the author of both of those books. And I had clipped out chapter 12. Um, it's just a different way of looking at this interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist. But I think I'm going to skip over that today. I'm going to leave that for you to follow up and read so that we get into the heart of the text we want to visit today in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So if you're reading along, or if you read along, you'll find it here. And it goes like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So let's look at this first part before we go to the grayed out part here. Th this idea that this Pharisee will learn his name later is, is Simon. He's a different Simon. He's a Pharisee. And he's invited Jesus to eat with him. And this invitation is a little bit curios, uh, curious in the sense that it demonstrates that the relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus wasn't fully antagonistic as of, as of yet. There's still this curiosity. Who is this Jesus? And what we're going to learn through the interactions that we see between Simon the Pharisee and Jesus is that Simon would have invited him into his house almost with the aim of examining this Jesus, not for the reasons you would normally invite somebody to your house. If you invite somebody to your house, you want to, uh, well, especially, man, we've got some good hosts in our congregation where if you get invited, you get treated like royalty. You get treated very well, and that's what hospitality looks like. But we're going to learn that Simon wasn't super hospital. Hospital. He wasn't super, it was probably more like a hospital. It, he wasn't hospitable with Jesus. He was more curious. And then we see this, this lady who is known to be a sinner. Now, this the way it's written, it tells us that, that she is more than just a sinner. We're all sinners. Let's be very clear about that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But she is known for her sin. Uh, she was likely particularly notorious as a sinner. Um, most suppose that she was a prostitute. So her presence in this Pharisee's house showed some serious courage and determination. And she brought with her this alabaster flask full of fragrant oil. So both the container and the contents show that this was an expensive gift. This was something she was bringing at great cost to herself. So this was not just some, a, a throwaway thing. This was an expensive gift. Um, I'm going to read my notes here. Since Jesus, Jesus later announced that her sins were forgiven, and we see that in Luke 7.48, it may be that Jesus forgave her earlier 
and would soon publicly declare her forgiven. So there's that in the background. We'll refer to that again just a little bit. And it says, she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. Now, uh, I've got this No, I didn't put it up on the screen, but this is a, a quote from uh, theologian Morris. People reclined on low couches at festive meals, leaning on their left arm with the head toward the table and the body stretched away from it. And the sandals were generally removed before reclining. I do have this um, quote here from C. Morgan Pate. It says, in all probability, the woman intended to anoint Jesus' head with her perfume, as was the custom. But because Jesus, like the other participants, reclined with his head toward the table, the closest the woman could get to Jesus was his feet. So normally, this anointing oil like she would have brought would be used on his head. But because just by the physical positioning, um, she wouldn't have had access to his head. I, I'm going to read another quote that's not in here, but it's from Charles Spurgeon. It says, Oh, for more of this love. Like, if only we caught a glimpse or we could model this love that she had for Jesus. If I might only pray one prayer this morning, I think it should be that the flaming torch of the love of Jesus should be brought into every one of our hearts and that all our passions should be set ablaze with love to him. Let's finish that section. So now we're in verse 39. It says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. And we see this transition. So the, the, the host probably, as we said, was kind of curious and kind of, kind of like keeping an eye on Jesus, maybe asking him some questions just to learn a little bit more about him. But in walks this sinner woman and everything changes in the heart and the tension with this Pharisee named Simon. And he, he almost turns hostile. And, and in my mind, I'm kind of picturing that he's like, maybe there's some hope for this Jesus. Maybe I'm just, maybe all of my buddies are missing something with this Jesus. And maybe there is something about him. But then the sinner comes in and he sees her do his thing. And, and the, the Pharisee has already judged Jesus to be a fraud. Like, and he starts to turn and get hostile with him. And he says, this man, if he was a prophet, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. I want to go back. No, actually, you don't need to go back. I'm going to go back in my notes here. Um, another note here from another, this, this is Bruce. The, I don't know what his first name is. But to have her hair flowing, remember it says that she used her hair in this washing of Jesus' feet, to have her hair flowing would be deemed to be very immodest. And she kissed his feet fervently again and again. You can only imagine, even, well, especially today, I guess, how awkward this scene would have been. How she was giving herself to the moment with no fear or regard of how she was being perceived. She had one aim and one aim alone that was just to worship at the feet of Jesus. Verse 40 says this, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. 
neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. So he, first of all, he, he, he engages with Simon directly. We can assume that the room was full of other people. It wasn't just Jesus and Simon having supper. And he, he, so he, he locks him in, and then he tells him this parable about the creditor who has two debtors. And he asks the question, well, which one do you think would love him more? And I love just the, that qualification there is, well, I suppose. And he knew the trap had been set. And so his response revealed that his, he was being cautious. He knew that Jesus was onto something. I got another quote here. It says, Christ tells the supercilious and self-conceited Pharisee by this parable that himself was a sinner also as well as the woman. And as a debtor to God's judgment, had as much need for his grace, of his grace in Christ for remission of sin and removal of wrap. Something that Jesus is teaching in here, one of the first things is, is that sin is sin. It's not necessarily the point of the sin. In fact, Jesus is identifying, not directly, but kind of indirectly here, Yes, we know of her sin. She's got a reputation as a sinner. He says, but we're all sinners. And so here you are, a sinner, pointing at another sinner. And, and through his story, he points out that the significant difference is this. And, and we do it sometimes. Sometimes we just carry our sin, and we hope nobody can see it. We, we button ourselves down in, in just the right way, or, we, or we, we behave in such a way that others won't be bothered by our sin. Others won't notice our sin. Others won't judge us for our sin. And we attempt to hide that sin. And when we attempt to hide that sin, that sin's not getting dealt with. It sticks with us. Yes, in our economy of, of sin, her sins were great. But she knew it. And she humbled herself. She really humbled herself in front of this Pharisee and, and with Jesus. And she gave herself fully at the mercy, put herself fully at the mercy of this Jesus. So the truth of the matter is, is the person who gives himself fully and, and in repentance and humility, Jesus is going to be able to forgive them. And we'll see that in just a minute. Whereas if we don't even ask for forgiveness and we, and we buckle it up inside and we try and protect it and cover over it, we don't get that forgiveness that our souls desperately need. So let's move on to verse 44. It says, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my head, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this first question. 
it, you can imagine the Pharisee is saying in his mind to Jesus, do you not see this woman? Do you not know? Like, you're supposed to be this prophet. Do you not know her reputation? Do you not know what she does for a living? Jesus asked the question, do you see this woman? Do you see what she's done? And he starts to run through the list of things that she did that were proper and right for him, the, the Pharisee, to be doing for Jesus. It was just culturally, it was, it was custom to do these things. It was a kindness to do these things, and they did none of those things. Because the Pharisee saw himself as, he, he probably almost saw Jesus as lucky to be with him. And I love that question. Do you see this woman? And he's not pointing at her accusingly. He's pointing at her as an example, as a positive example. And he says, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, it's important to understand she wasn't forgiven because of her great love. We can never do something to earn forgiveness. But her love was evidence of the faith that she was putting in the forgiver, her faith in Jesus. And then the, the, this really caused a stir. The others in the room ask, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus had the authority to forgive the woman, and he was right to do so. She displayed humility, repentance, trust, and a love for Jesus. And he says to her, your faith has saved you. And the, the key to her forgiveness was faith, and specifically faith in Jesus. Uh, I love the wording uh, of Stephen's testimony. And the, the key that unlocks it is, is taking that step of faith. Taking that step of faith. And then he f finishes by saying, go in peace. This woman must have come in shook. She, she knew her own sin. And she knew what she was about to give up. And she knew the position she was going to put herself in under the prying eyes of these Pharisees who would judge her mercilessly. So coming into this moment, it must have been just so hard for her, physically probably trembling. She came in one way, but as happens, as what happens when we have an encounter with Jesus, there is a transformation, and he says, go in peace. And she would have left very differently than the way she came. With that, I want to invite the worship team up. And um, I want to point to a couple more things. Uh, as we study the life of Jesus, and uh, I've mentioned this before, Saturday nights we, we have completely focused on the, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We just teach Jesus over and over again. And we're in the thick of a, a sermon series on Luke, or from Luke, about the life of Jesus. As we learn more about Jesus, we learn more not about just his character, but because he is a reflection and because he is just following what the Father has for him to do, we learn about the character of God through watching the life of Jesus. And I think that's important because what we see from Jesus, we see consistently Jesus shows gentleness and kindness to, to the marginalized. And in this case, uh, it's a hard story to tell, but women in general were, were marginalized culturally in this time and place. And his love 
for them. We see here, but we see, I've got a couple more slides here. Um, the little, sorry, Caleb, I'm making you jump all over the place. Got the, if you want to learn a little bit more about another woman that he had an encounter with and showed just incredible love to, they got the Samaritan woman at the well. You can look at John 4, verses 1 to 45. And another instance where there was this woman caught in adultery. And you can learn more about that, John 8, verses 1 to 11. Jesus is pretty awesome, eh? I, I know it sounds childish to say, but it's, it's kind of what I'm feeling right now. I, I get excited. Uh, I, I made this comment last night. Sometimes be, it's being a Christian doesn't always feel great because we come behind some people who did stupid things in the name of Christianity. And, and this idea of being a Christian can at sometimes become damaged damaged goods. And when we identify as a Christian, sometimes we end up identifying with those who are Christians around us. And sometimes we identify, I feel sorry for you that you have to identify for with some of my dumb behavior because we're in the same camp. But there's something about what that means to be a, a Christian, a Christ follower, a Jesus follower. You know what? Sign me up every day of the week, every day of my life, to become more like this Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be more like him. Because what I see in him is beautiful. It's brilliant. He, he's a genius. But he's a gentle genius with those who need the gentleness. I, I'm in love. And I want to invite you to stand. We're going to stand, sing a song, responding in worship to this Jesus. I don't know if you remember back that quote from Spurgeon. Oh, for more of this love, if only. May we be caught with the same love as the sinful woman in Luke 7. May we be humble, repentant, trusting, and fully in love with Jesus. I just want to pray blessings on you. Let's, let's close our eyes and pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We're so thankful that we get to come under you and, and, and this isn't a human thing that is, is enjoyable to come under somebody or something else, but for some reason, you make it a perfectly perfect place to be under you. And so we come under you. We put you on the throne of our lives. As we walk out the door today, Lord, I pray that we would go in confidence as your children. And for those who have made a, a big decision in their lives today, whether it be being baptized or maybe they've had an encounter with you lord we pray that you would seal what you've done this morning and bless us as we go in jesus name amen take care have a great week thank you for joining us for our main service if you want to learn more about northridge church or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast please email us at info at nrchurch.ca we'd love to get to know you better until then be safe and be blessed